themselves. So I will happily go first. For our listeners, I am Jesse Ulrich, uh, the CEO of Rant9 Productions and uh, one of the co-hosts of this podcast. And I am Alisa Bell, the executive director of James Inc. and one of the co-hosts for this podcast. I'm Jane Hill, and I was a teacher at Margaret Hudson Program. Excellent. We are here to talk about the Margaret Hudson Program. For people who don't know what the Margaret Hudson Program was, how would you describe it to them? It was a program for pregnant teens that provided education and medical information and social services. Um, we tried to be a, a an inclusive program rather than just just education or just medical, but tried to focus on on the whole whole student. And when did the Margaret Hudson program shut down? The program shut down, that would have been around 2015 or 2016. Is that right? I didn't think it had been quite, I would have said maybe 2017. Okay. Still recent. Very recently. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, I thought it would have been like, I don't know, late 90s, early 2000s, but just a couple years ago. Yes. Very recently. And was that a, was it a funding issue? Was it a staffing issue? Was it a TPS priority switch? From my experience, TPS was not a part of that. I think that it uh, boiled down to a funding issue. That was the ultimate uh, reason for them to to close the building. From my experience also, I went to Margaret Hudson in 79-80, but I became a board president sometime around 2001. 2002. And from my experience, from that point on, there seemed to be a struggle with keeping the attendance at a level that kind of supported the finances. And so it was almost like the perfect storm because in 79, 80, when I was a student, you had to go to Margaret Hudson. But by the time 82, 83 came, it was no longer a requirement. And so more kids started to stay in their homeschools. I had my second child my senior year, and I stayed in my homeschool. So that within a three-year time span, things had just changed. And and I think that added to the struggle for um, continued attendance. I do think Tulsa Public Schools played a part in the dissolution of Margaret Hudson, because I think they came up with their own program, uh, teen pregnancy program that they put into, what's the school on 21st Street? Nathan Hale. Nathan, yes, Nathan Hale. And I think they started pulling away from Margaret Hudson program so they could do their own program. Mm-hmm. What was like a regular day for a student at Margaret Hudson like? Like, how was it different from standard public school? I think... <laughs> For many of them, particularly those who rode the the bus, to get up so early and have to get a child up, or or while they were still pregnant, to get you know around with with dealing with that and being seven and eight months pregnant and trying to get on the bus and get to school and walk a ways to get there, and um, or if you already had your child and were were coming with your child and get them on the bus. And, you know, I, I just think they had so many more things to deal with that a student going to a regular school just wouldn't even, you know, consider, wouldn't think about that made it 
so much harder for them to get there. Miss Hill, because she will always be my teacher, so I always have to call her <laughs> Mrs. Hill. Um, when did you first start working at the Margaret Hudson program? I came there in 1978. Wow. Um, and before that, I had worked in daycare programs, was a daycare director, worked with Friends of Daycare, early other early childhood programs. Um, and I came to Margaret Hudson program to teach occupational child care, which was set up on the basis of, of preparing them to work in early childhood programs. And I'm not exactly sure why it was set up like that, other than I, that's probably how they could get the funding for the position. Most of the same, the things that I taught under occupational child care were also parenting skills. Um, so it taught parenting skills as well. I'm curious about those parenting skills because um, a lot of my friends have kids and it seems for for most parents, it's kind of a sort of learning as they go and remembering how their uh, parents taught them. But I know that's not always necessarily the best example. I have I have many friends who specifically don't parent the way their parents did. And so I'm curious about what a parenting class looked like there. It, I mean, it covers guidance and discipline. It covers activities to do with children. Um, a lot of a lot of what we were doing was talking about how you bathe the baby and how you change the diapers and how to make homemade baby food. But also, then it it, it had a a work component with uh, you know how you get a job and how 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 you keep a job. <laughs> That's really good because those are the soft skills that aren't being provided now. And so a lot of the James program is focused around just basic soft skills that no one is is receiving in, in a in a formal setting. So how how much of the Margaret Hudson program ideas did you incorporate into James Inc.? I don't the James Inc.'s original mission was just to provide scholarship dollars as the founder, the thought was because no one was telling me at the time that college was an option, that we would come back and we would be that voice for getting those young women to to school. So I have always felt like Margaret Hudson was the perfect place and provided the perfect service for its intended purpose. We were always from my perspective, considered an enhancement to what was already being provided. So not a lot of the model was taken from there. It was, like I said, it was an enhancement. However, as James continues to progress, those types of things are being added because we recognize that not all young women are receiving that same comprehensive type of, um, education. Uh, Mrs. Hill alluded to the Strong Tomorrows program in TPS schools, and and I think that they are trying to do those things. It's a different um, environment. It's a different setting because they're trying to provide it to, they're trying to provide it consistently to nine different schools and nine different locations with nine different principles and, and, you know, trying to get that consistency. That's often difficult, um, but I think that, that they're going a long way to do that. James's client is, we work with all ages 13 to 24, but James's ideal client is that 
parent that comes out of TPS and then is ready to talk about career and uh, college readiness and really ready to identify those skills that they need in order to move forward. I hope I answered that question. You did. You you ask about what the parenting looked like at Margaret Hudson program. And something that I didn't mention was that we had daycare on site and the child care students worked in the daycare center along with the regular employees. And so they, they got firsthand knowledge of how you, how you hold the baby um, so that you support the neck and the, the back and the head and, um, how you change the diaper. They they actually got to do that as opposed to just doing it with a doll or something like that. So they um, they were working with, with infants and toddlers right there on site. And I, I remember that. I remember having the responsibility of working in the daycare. It was like an assigned hour or so mm-hmm. per day, if I remember correctly. And I remember us talking about those things in class and and then having the opportunity to go out and practice in in what I'm going to call the daycare lab mm-hmm. because um we did work with everyone's baby in there and we had the ability to come in and out and check on our own kids um but a question i have is what was that early student like that 70s that that late 70s student when you first got there? And then how had students changed by the time you left? One thing I remember from those those early days that I was there, it seemed like the students were younger. We got we got a lot of younger students. There were there was a 12-year-old, there were several 13-year-olds. And as as years progressed that I was there, and I was there until 2010, um, I I don't remember having as many young students, but there were more juniors and seniors. Do you think the fact that they had to stay, that they were able to stay in the schools contributed to that? Because um, the numbers for for the younger populations are trending downward now. But I remember even as a student at Margaret Hudson being taught that Oklahoma was high. I think at that point we were still within the top 10 in terms of teen pregnancy. Uh, I myself would have been a very young one. Do you think that that the students that were at Margaret Hudson were older and those were the students who were either out of school, had had dropped out, and just weren't affiliated with a school and Margaret Hudson was a way for them to be reintroduced? Or did I mean, I guess my question is, do you think the fact that we could stay in school made the, made that type of difference? That probably did have a major factor, uh, played a major factor in that, um, particularly if they had been to Margaret Hudson uh, with their first pregnancy, they wanted to get they wanted to get back where the boys were that was a, a big issue of it yes that's the <laughs> Margaret Hudson is just girls um but they they may have benefited from Margaret Hudson when they were there the first time mm-hmm. and their uh, to take different classes 
they would have been repeating some of the same mm-hmm. classes if mm-hmm. they if they'd come back to Margaret Hudson program. There wasn't an advanced parenting track. Uh, no, there was not an advanced. <laughs> well, actually, there was. We we adjusted it to 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 uh, accommodate them. So there really was. Um, one of the things that I think fluctuated the population that we saw was our location because we moved around so many times. When when I started with Margaret Hudson program, we were um, in there on Newton. I can't think of the name of the school, actually. Um, and then uh, we were there for several years, and then we moved over on 15th Street to the Jones Elementary School. And then we moved to Monroe Middle School, and that's, I think I retired when we were at Monroe. But they had been at several locations before I joined Margaret Hudson Program. And after Monroe, then they moved to the school there at 11th and Yale. Um, and that was their last location. But the bus lines had to, you know, the, the building had to be where there was a bus line. Um, but how how the buses ran and how much time they had to spend down at the downtown bus stop to get there. It just made it difficult for some students to get there on the bus. One of the things that helped was that they did have a van provided by um, Junior League. And um, they, they could ride the bus into downtown and then the van picked them up there and brought them to the building that was particularly when we were in the Jones building. But transportation was a major issue. Mm-hmm. And I think when we moved to the building of, over on 15th Street, the Jones building, we we did send to, tend to see more white students mm-hmm. because it was a little farther south. Mm-hmm. And it was um, more, more acceptable to the families uh, for their child to go there, for their student to go there. Um, and that's so we we saw, I think the changes that we saw were because of location, um, and and how difficult it was to get there. That was that was the big issue. I mean, I know transportation is still an issue with, you know, especially TPS today. Um, I know from my reading partners volunteer experience that some kids don't go to school because they it's cold and they don't have a warm enough jacket or. Uh, some schools don't get bus service because the students live so close, you know, by TPS's definition. So it sounds like it's just a continuation of the transportation problem in town. Hopefully, the you know the new bus lines not having to go through downtown will maybe help some of those things out. But you know that you're right. That continues to be an issue. I think I learned uh, earlier this year that the students that live in the Comanche apartments are close enough that they're not afforded a bus also. And so some of them walk and they use the trails to get to school. Now, I don't know if that's, if it's because of the the distance truly, because I haven't researched it, but um, it was certainly a surprise to me that in this day and time, we have students that are still trying to walk to school um, that are that close um, in proximity in the bad weather. And, and then we don't have good streets for them to walk on. There's no sidewalk from 36 down to McLean. So you're in the woods, basically. I mean, it's funny. 
the difference between growing up in Broken Arrow and hearing stories about people trying to get to you know school in Tulsa because Broken Arrow kept building new schools as I was going through it, and both an elementary and middle school were built pretty much in the like the tail end of my neighborhood, so I could bike through a park to my schools or walk home if it was nice. And when the weather was bad, my parents would drive me. But like, I I'm trying to think about now if I would even be allowed to bike to school, even though it was like less than a mile away. It's uh you know, there's uh, there's it's amazing that 15 miles away from where I grew up, there were transportation problems that I could not even comprehend because you know Broken Arrow and the other suburbs around Tulsa are designed differently than Tulsa is. Exactly, and then you complicate that with the pregnancy, and. Uh getting to school becomes almost impossible sometimes. Yeah. And then, and our students didn't ride the school buses. Correct. Um, I don't know whether they were not allowed to. I, I really don't know that I ever thought about that. Um, but they rode, they got bus passes to ride the city buses. Um, so we had to be, you know, they had to be where they could get a city bus. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just not everybody... Lives on the bus line. <laughs> Absolutely. And I went to the program when it was at Newton on Newton Street. And so we probably lived within five miles from Cincinnati to from Cincinnati and Young Street over to Newton. If it's even five miles. I don't miles. think it'd be five miles. And I don't even think it was either. But then even in that short distance, I remember having to catch the city bus in my neighborhood, go downtown and have to wait for the bus, for a different bus in order to go back, back to the school. So um, it, it was it was difficult. And if you didn't have... A lot of family support. Luckily for me, I had the family support. So my grandmother would keep my baby if the weather was was uh, not good. Or, you know, my mom could drop me off at school. So, so many young ladies today don't have the same. That's what I've learned um, from 79, 80, and then coming back and working with this environment full time starting in 2014. I remember probably 80% of the young ladies that went to Margaret Hudson with me. I don't remember anyone not having support from their families, some type of support. Mom was in the home. Um, You know, I, I just can't remember any of my friends whose moms weren't there, who weren't trying to assist them and help them to become better individuals. So when I come back in 2014 um, and I learned that that same level of support is no longer a part of the community. There's no grandmother. There's no big mama. There's no mother. Um, And I think about that in terms of Oklahoma being number one in female incarceration. These, These young ladies really don't have parents. And the basic things that I think are so basic, um, there's no one to tell them that type of information. You know, um, we talk a lot of in our program about the people who are in their lives and the people who are because of generational changes. We talk about having critical conversations, um, which is just another soft skill. 
Um, there's a lot of uh, resentment or I feel like she thinks I can't take care of the baby. And it's not that she doesn't think that or that she thinks that. It's that from her generation and what you're being taught now in terms of how to take care of the baby. It's so totally different and until we can talk about it. For instance, um, now they say don't give the baby water for the first six months. In my day, that would have been absurd. absurd. Mm-hmm. So if my daughter comes home and says, oh, we're not giving the baby water, I'm like, what are you talking about? And the the fact that they don't have the skills and the vocabulary to communicate those things often cause conflict from the generations that are trying to assist. I think I got off on the tangent, but... That's right. Okay. I, the, I was going to go on a tangent about why Tulsa's bus system would ever go all the way downtown. It's a grid. It's have buses go up and down the lines. Anyway, they're fixing that so that rant won't uh, last that long. But seriously, that made, it, it never made sense. I don't... Anyway, uh, it's one of those things where you live on the East Coast and their transit system don't don't make sense, but at least they run timely. Yes. And apparently the, the you know, the buses ran, what, like every 45 minutes to an hour and a half here? So trying to get to school on that at would least, be difficult. Yeah. At least. Yeah. I, you, you mentioned that having the family support, so many of the girls having, but what I remember so much is girls... And their kids that slept in the car underneath the bridges, or they slept, they they went from one apartment to the next, to living with friends, living with someone. Mm-hmm. And I I can remember a lot of our students who didn't have family support, um, and and particularly those. You know, and it's amazing that that, that they got to school at all. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and and then to to get there with a with a child and. And try to be there, uh, you know, five days a week, and get to the doctor and meet all these other requirements. It it is amazing what what some of our students were capable of doing. It was really heartwarming. How many? That's a good segue. How many of your students do you remember personally um, that were successful, and how many do you wonder about to this day? Well, of course, there you, you, you know, what's your, what's your definition of successful? Um, and I'm really not sure I can answer that because I do, I do see students out in the community after they've been to Margaret Hudson. Um, if I go in someplace and they happen to be working there or something like that, but so many of them I don't see and I don't hear anything about. Um, the counselors did most of the follow up. That and I, I'm not. Yeah, I really don't know for the. But I, I think most of our students, um, I think they are successful. And I, I, lots of times, term successful as being a good parent. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, uh, I think I saw a lot of good parents there. Just because they were young didn't mean that they didn't know what they were doing and didn't know how to be a good parent. Mm-hmm. So, but yes, they've I we've had students that um, have gone to Washington D.C. and been um, assistants there in in Congress and Senate and things. 
and it's just it is uh tv announcers <laughs> um trying to think what other careers executive director of nonprofits <laughs> yes yes um people who help run hotels uh i can remember one student that worked at i think, I think it was williams uh, the williams center hotel downtown um, and it's just you know i mean they just they do well <laughs> they they learn those skills and and how to how to work with people um it was it was good to see what would you I always like to sort of view these discussions from someone who maybe does, knows no information about this particular topic. We've talked about transportation. We've talked about sort of knowledge gaps that need to be filled in. But what would you say is like one of the misconceptions people have about teen pregnancy, uh, having those teens continue their, you know, in their education and how best to help them succeed in life? I think so many people feel sorry for them and just assume that they they have it uh, that they can't be good good people out there in the community. Um, but I'm not sure where I was going with that. Sorry. No, right. <laughs> um, oh, yes, I do know. I think the the girls themselves didn't see themselves that way which was which was good you know i mean they they didn't know they had it so hard <laughs> they didn't know they had it so bad <laughs> and they they just they plodded along and they you know they did their thing and they did what was what was needed um so they it was you know they they were okay because they they thought they were okay i, I I would piggyback onto that. I, I agree. I think that, that the perception is, um, the pregnant teenager is always this young lady with, uh, development issues or whether it be behavioral or, um, academic development issues. But when you really sit down and talk to these girls, they're really, really intelligent. Um, and they don't see themselves. As, I mean, they see it as being hard, but they don't see themselves always as being destitute or mm -hmm. broken um, because it's their normal. Uh -huh. It's their normal at that point. Um, what they lack is the knowledge of how to improve their situation and the courage to improve their situation because um, oftentimes we um we just kind of focus on the baby once the girl gets pregnant and at, at James again that's what we say we're not here to focus on the baby we're here to focus on you there's going to be someone that provides the diapers that helps you with daycare assistance there's going to be someone that does that but let's focus on what you really want and they don't often know what they really want or who they are um meant to be so they'll choose something that they have heard is easy because i need money or you know it's the c the cna and that's a fantastic opportunity but not everyone is meant to be a cna <laughs> and so we have to really talk about and show them what that looks like and then they think, oh, no, that's that's not what I want to do. But then they don't also they don't recognize um, 
the true skills that they have. Organization is a skill. And so we have to present it in such a way that they realize that that's really a marketable skill. So let's talk about what you can do using that particular skill. Um, and then something we haven't even touched on are the young men who are out here. It it always takes two. Um, but the resources the resources are scarce for our young women in some times, but they're even they're non existent for the guys. Let's talk about the boys. Because that's the boy in the room. I am constantly frustrated and both both frustrated and interested in what happens to the boys. I know some just disappear, right? But I know sometimes they they're around and they just get to sort of continue living their life as they lived it. And it's just, it's kind of, it's an incredible unfairness and, you know, it's an injustice in a sense where, you know, it's not, it no longer, it no longer has to affect them. They can go back to their lives mm-hmm. unless they choose to make it part of their life. And there's not anything we can sort of do about that as in a you know, public education standpoint, but I'm, I'm curious about both in the Margaret Hudson program and in James Inc. What, how do you sort of outreach to the gentlemen involved and try to get them to understand that this is something that affects them as well? Um, we did have um, sessions for the, for the fathers, trying to get the fathers to come in in the evenings. Um, uh, and not, you know, maybe not every month, but at one point we had a counselor that was specifically for the fathers uh, that, that worked with them and, and did sessions with them. I'm not sure how else that they would encourage them to come to Lamal's classes that we had there. Um, and a, a few fathers took advantage of that, not a whole lot. Um, I, I think they felt like, I think the fathers felt like they were, they expected not to be encouraged to come. I think they were afraid to come in for fear we'd, you know, someone would attack them on, you know, look what you did, look what you caused, all this kind of stuff. And that wasn't what we were about. Um, It's some, not, we didn't see a lot of fathers there uh, participating, but, but a few, some. And then a lot of others that that did contribute financially uh, through paying for daycare, which was a, a minor a minor fee, um, at least when I was involved with it, and uh, you know providing diapers and and that kind of thing. So it's bring, bringing. We saw a lot of fathers that brought the the mother to school. Um, uh, they they helped out that way, you know, if nothing else, they provided transportation. You know, I mean, I guess they couldn't go to school with the their partner in that case, right? So yeah, that's so true. Like the, Not there at Margaret Hudson, anyway. Yeah. So the, I guess that was one of the few the few interactions, you know, the school staff would get with the the male partners in this is uh-huh. if if they were involved, they were hopefully dropping off the m- mother and child. So I, from James' perspective, um, what I've seen is unless the parents are still a couple, I say coupling, then we don't see the father ever. Um, 
if if he is involved throughout the pregnancy, then he's more likely to be engaged with us in our services. Um, but then we've talked about this a lot in different conferences and different um, other committees and things. To a large extent, I think that we've not made the fathers welcome in some of the spaces because you walk into the day, you walk into the hospital and I give you a bag and the bag is pink and blue and, you know, everything in it is about a little baby and the colors aren't uh, inclusive of, you know, it just feels like, oh, that's girl stuff when it should be more of that's parent stuff. And so we have to think about the way that we present these opportunities. It's like, are we inviting them to a chick flick? And how many guys are going to want to go to a chick flick? So what movie are we really going to present that's going to engage them and, and make them be willing to participate? And then I think from a policy standpoint, there is a misconception that she won't get any assistance if he's around. And so we've kind of created an environment that makes it easy for him to step back instead of saying, you two are both eligible for services as teen parents. Neither one of you have any money. So you can't get blood from a turnip. So let's see what we can do to to move the unit forward. And and I think that we have to look at that as a community and we have to kind of change the narrative around what services should look like. Can you give me an example of what your best day would be like and what your worst day was like? Uh, I think good days involved students that were involved in what we were doing. The, one of the things that I worked with was family FCCLA, Family and Community Leaders of America, which was a, a student organization of uh, home economics. And they did um, they went to contest and did different activities. Uh, some of them were um, interviewing skills and others were presentation skills where they presented information in 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 my case they presented it on some parenting skill uh one that i can remember particularly was about sids um and they went into contest and seeing them present themselves and and winning in contests i mean that was the neat part was they they sometimes won when they went to contest mm-hmm. You know, and they they were they were even shunned lots of times in those school vocational settings because they ha- had a child or were pregnant, um, and and yet to to be just as good as as the rest of them <laughs> that was that was a fun thing. A bad day, I literally cannot think of anything. Well, and which, it, which I is, think that's a good that, thing. That's a good thing. That's a success. I do. I do have uh, one other question. Tell us what your academic background is, and would you choose Margaret Hudson all over again? 
Um, I have a degree in early childhood from OSU, just a bachelor's degree, and I was prepared to work in early childhood programs and in public school, kindergarten, um, but went down to Dallas and worked in daycare and was a, then was a daycare director and then came back here and we did services for daycare centers and family daycare homes. And I, I would choose that route for, you know, again, in a, in a minute, <laughs> it was good. It was, well, I just have to say that, um, if I've never told you how much I appreciate you being a part of my development, my personal development, um, then I want you to know that I do greatly appreciate all that you've done and poured into my life. I do. I remember it. Um, I remember it well. Um, I'll forgive you for the OSU thing, but... <laughs> this is a Boomer Sooner household? Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, we we will forgive you for okay. for the OSU thing, <laughs> but I definitely uh, want you to know that you made a difference in a lot of lives, well, thank and you, you should be much. proud of that. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the James Inc. Podcast. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're wondering why my voice is so much deeper than normal, because I'm getting over a cold. Thank you for your concern. Don't forget to follow James Inc. on Facebook. Thank you all for listening. Thank you.